Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with our international reporter, Zofia Zviglinska. How's it going, Zofia? Yeah, great. Lovely and sunny in the UK today. Well, it might be sunny in New York, but I can't tell because of all the smoke. Um, I have been having my air purifier running at maximum capacity. Uh, They're off for this recording, and then as soon as we're done, I'm going to turn it right back on because it is pretty nasty out. I've seen the pictures. It looks pretty horrific. Yeah, unfortunately, the pictures look cool, but it doesn't feel very cool on on the eyes and throat. Um, Mm. But anyway, we've got a fun episode today. Um, We're going to be talking about Telfar announcing an end to the bag security program. Um, We'll talk about the boost that Rent the Runway has gotten from the return to office and, you know, other implications of people going back to the office. And then finally, we're going to talk about Stitch Fix considering leaving the UK market. Um, which as our resident London-based reporter, you can maybe give us some some insight on the UK market. But yeah, let's start with Telfar. So on Wednesday, uh, Telfar announced that they are ending their bag security program. Um, for those that don't know, bag security was a, a program where Telfar would open up pre-orders uh, for a product before it was actually manufactured. They'd let everyone buy as many as they want, and then they would produce them uh based on how many orders. So they'd close the orders before production started and then just make however many people wanted. And then it was like the idea being that everyone who wanted one would get one and anyone who missed out wouldn't and there would be no leftover product, ideally, um, and kind of a way to avoid this sort of, you know, to have the benefit of the exclusive drop kind of model, but without some of the risks, like I said, extra inventory and stuff like that. So it was really successful and I think helped put Telfar on the map. Um, But now they announced this week that they are not doing that anymore. Um, There wasn't a ton of information on why, but there was a quote from from Telfar Clemens, the designer, about wanting to move away from models that were uh, dependent on social media. He kind of characterized the bag security program as very reliant on social media and instead wanting to focus on things like their brick-and-mortar stores or Telfar TV, which is like a streaming platform, um, stuff that doesn't you know, rely as much on the, the social media you know, buzz cycle, which I thought was really interesting. So we can get into more of why Telfar, I think, has been you know, a really cool experimental brand and have, have done a lot of cool things and are always like very forward-thinking about their retail strategy. Um, but to start off, Zofia, what's just your first impressions of them dropping that model, um, even though it seemed to me like it was quite successful for them. Yeah, I think it's probably something that, you know, maybe as they said with the the aspect that social media is influencing it so much is that, you know, maybe it kind of limits their independence when it comes to trying new things um, and possibly, you know, if this is almost like a, a kind of startup test and test and try model, then um, they could just be looking to move on to other things that might work better or that possibly kind of they're able to do at a period when they're doing really well. So it's it's good to kind of keep things fresh and interesting. Yeah. And like I said, Telfar is definitely a brand that a brand that keeps things fresh and interesting. They they're always doing, in my opinion, you know, really cool stuff, shaking up the traditional ways that uh, fashion is sold. I think the most recent one from March um, was they they introduced a model called live pricing where they would release a collection and uh, new products if they were being sold for the first time would start at wholesale price 
and would increase in price over time until they were sold out. And then whatever price it was when they sold out is sort of like the price for that product. So then when it comes back, it comes back at that price, which again, I think is just an interesting way to kind of use demand and use interest from uh, customers without having to guess, like taking some of the guesswork out and just seeing this is what people will pay for it. Um, This is how quickly it will go. And then using that as a benchmark instead of relying on, I guess, the other ways brands do that, which is maybe customer surveys or looking at what other products are out there and stuff like that. So I feel like they've always been very forward thinking. Um, And in terms of um, moving away from social media, I, I wonder... I don't know if this is exactly why, but um, I do feel like there has been a small but growing number of brands who are kind of resenting or speaking out against the hold that uh, big social media platforms have on the way like fashion is marketed and sold and talked about, particularly Instagram, but others as well, and just wanting to not be beholden to the whims of like the algorithm on Instagram or whatever it is. Um, do you get that sense, um, Zofia, from some of the brands you've talked to? I, obviously, I think it, I don't think there's a mass exodus or anything, but I feel like I've heard from a couple of brands recently, like Lush Cosmetics is another, um, of wanting to just detach a little bit from the social media cycle and find ways to communicate with customers, to market, to sell that don't rely on these like big, powerful tech platforms. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, with socials, because of the fact that, for one, like you have the algorithm and two, the the algorithm is always changing. It makes it very hard for brands to kind of predict what they're able to do, engage with their community in the right way. And sometimes I think there's a bit of a disconnect um, that can lead just through interacting through these platforms. Like you don't speak to the customer directly. Um, And one of the things that I've seen in my reporting, especially around Web3, is that, you know, people want to be speaking to the brands directly. They want to have that direct contact. And that's why there was such um, an interest in other channels like Discord and Reddit. I think Lush Cosmetics actually has a really big kind of organic community on Reddit. Um, So it makes more sense for them to engage with their customers through that channel um, or through possible kind of other routes just so they can have that back and forth. And I think that, you know, even the changes that big social media is doing to to kind of integrate that a little bit more, like Instagram brought in um, a new feature which allows a brand to kind of message their community on on the app. Um, I think that that shows that, you know, there's more interest right now in communicating with customers like directly instead of doing it through very kind of like behind the wall tactics and social media marketing. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a psychological element to it as well. Like I always think if I Google a brand, the first example is like the brand's website sponsored ad from Google. And then the second is just the brand website that just came up naturally. And I always click the second one. Just, I don't know, something about it is like, I'd rather just go, it really doesn't change anything at all, but I'd rather just go straight to the site and not through, like you said, through this medium of like some other party who I know is like a middleman kind of. Um, So that's, that's really interesting to me. I also think though that brands that can detach from social media a little bit are the ones that kind of already have a community or already have a following or are known. Mm -hmm. Like Lush and Telfar are both well-known brands. Like you said, they have a community. They've got hype around them. I don't know if you could start Lush or start Telfar without 
an Instagram account or something like, I mean, maybe I, and maybe wholesale is the way to do that. Like if you can get on the shelf at Nordstrom, maybe you don't need to engage in a whole social media promotion cycle. But without that, I'm like, how do you get a brand to the point where you can detach from Instagram without using Instagram in the first place? You know what I mean? Do you, do you think that's even possible for like new startup brands? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, one example that I've been following for a little while now is Cortez, um, which is a UK-based fashion streetwear brand. And they're kind of similar in, in a way like to Telfar. They're a kind of POC-owned brand um, who are approaching the market in these very innovative ways. And most of their um, kind of communication with their community happens through Twitter as opposed to Instagram. So they don't use kind of traditional um, I would say social media strategies, like they're just directly messaging their community, like this is the drop for our, you know, 99p um, cargo pants or like something that they're doing with Nike um, was recently in the news around um, the Air Max 95. And I think they did like a collaborative effort with like reimagining it and they used social media or specifically Twitter to like target their community there. So I think it's more about just like maybe taking a step step back and instead of kind of running forward with sponsored ads, as you said, or like sponsored posts or like extensive media strategies, if you're kind of young and nimble, do something different. And most of the times that will be enough to kind of address your community in a new way. And yeah, just really know your market and that could possibly work out it's interesting also how like both lush and um and cortez are uk based and like that's how a little bit more of the grungy scene is growing i feel like that's kind of where that <laughs> the uh the social media marketing might be a little bit more innovative just because people don't want to you know have everything all glossy yeah no that's a, a very good point um Let's talk a little bit about Rent the Runway as well, because I feel like this maybe gets into some similar things. But um, on Wednesday, Rent the Runway uh, had their earnings and they announced um, better than expected earnings revenue, which they attributed to more demand for workwear and uh, people going back to the office, which I thought was uh, really interesting. They Specifically, they said not just that people are going back to the office, but also that people are more concerned with what they wear to the office, um, which Jennifer Hyman is the CEO of Rent the Runway kind of in a way that like was sort of funny to me was like yeah well the labor market is scarce and people are scared of losing their jobs so they want to dress up nice and i was like that's probably true but it was a little weird to me to say just that like it's great for us that people are scared of losing their jobs um but i mean like it is true that you know the office is probably a, a significant driver of people needing to wear you know, to regularly update their wardrobe and to dress up. I mean, I know when we we work fully remotely for Glossy, but when we have Glossy events, I almost always like buy something new to wear. Um, and given we are, a, a, you know, fashion based, so I feel like there's maybe a little more pressure to, to dress nice um, and not wear the same suit to every Glossy event, which I try not to do. Um, but yeah, I definitely think work is a, a motivator for, you know, it's a, is a driver for the fashion cycle. Um, I'm wondering your thoughts, Sophia, on the return to office. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not really sure how that's going in the UK. I mean, I know in the US, there is uh, a push from some employers to either bribe or um, threaten employees into coming back to the office. Um, I personally 
glossy. I've, like I said, we've been working fully remote and have I've never felt any pressure uh, from our company, which I appreciate. And, and I think there's some resistance at companies where there is that pressure from the employees of not wanting to go back in. Um, I'm not sure if there's the same kind of phenomenon happening in the UK, but anyway, I'm rambling. What are, what are your thoughts on, you know, the return to office and how that impacts um, fashion? Yeah, I mean, I think that that last point that you made is kind of the most significant one for me. And I'm guessing that it's probably what is driving um, these kind of ideas about people returning to the office, I think is the thing that, you know, most companies, or at least the big ones in the US, like IBM, Apple, Goldman Sachs, Disney, um, like Amazon, I think is also doing it, like they're all mandating now that people are going to be returning to the office um, and kind of pushing it a step further where it will actually have an impact on their performance reviews if they don't. So I think it's almost like, you know, it's not no longer kind of the, the same policy that was happening two years ago. Like this is now something that is, is impacting um, companies in a big way and therefore, you know, it might just be a case of returning back to, I would say, the old normal in some ways. Um, and Rent the Runway could be taking advantage of that. How successful that will be, I mean, I will see. Um, I don't think that office wear in general has remained the same over the last couple of years. So I don't think that the same kind of um, analytics and items that might, might have been popular five years ago would be popular now. So it might be a case of changing that offering. Um, but it could still be a good way to go. Like if it is mandatory, most people will probably end up complying in the UK. I would say it's still mostly work from home. Um, I think that there's been a number of different initiatives happening um, that are kind of focused on flexible working. Um, you know, there's been some exploration of providing a kind of basic minimum uh, universal wage like I think it's it's kind of going the other way in some ways that it's it's more about flexibility and making sure that people have you know time for both work and outside of work yeah and you raise a good point about what people wear in the office is also changing I mean there has been a lot of talk the last couple of years about how comfort is king and everybody wants to be comfortable um, definitely have felt like there's a little bit of a push back to that narrative. Maybe it's just the brands like kind of wishing it into existence. But um, I feel like I've seen a little bit more interest in at least in the menswear side in tailoring and, and not just like wearing joggers all the time. Um, I'm wondering uh, also if the the idea that a potential return to office would be good for companies like Rent the Runway. Um, you know, that idea that people are scared of losing their jobs and so they want to dress nice so they like don't get laid off or something. Um, but at the same time, there are a lot of layoffs happening across multiple industries. I mean, definitely in fashion, but also tech, media, retail, like just, you know, at least in the US, there's tons of layoffs happening. So mm. I'm wondering if that's going to be sort of a counteracting force where like just as people maybe are going back to the office, there's other people who are no longer have an office to go to because they're not employed anymore. And, and if those two will maybe balance out, um, I don't know. What do, do you think that that's a, is there a significant enough um, loss in the labor force to counteract what Run the Runway is banking on? I, I don't know, totally speculative, but I'm wondering your thoughts. I doubt it. I mean, I'm still very kind of hesitant to that whether there is like a good answer as to how to get people to return back to the office. Like for me, it doesn't make logical sense. Um, so I think that a lot of people, regardless of layoffs, will um, probably also be quitting um, if 
their company is not offering a remote work policy. Um, and it does seem like that is the trend with um, recruiters as well, that they are finding that that is something that um, candidates are speaking about more and more, and it's just becoming um, a standard for them. So I think they'll still be looking for jobs which offer that as opposed to ones which, you know, I, I, at this point, I would say force people back into the office. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. Let's talk about Stitch Fix. Um, so on Tuesday, the company said that it's considering leaving the UK market and focusing, you know, refocusing on just the US. Um, they cited rising costs of business and a worsening macro environment uh, in the in the UK. Uh, they started selling in the UK in 2019, and um, it seems like that business was not totally, you know, floundering or anything. Um, they said they are expecting 50 million dollars in revenue from this year. And their revenue in total is like 400 million. So going from zero to 50 million in, you know, four years is not not bad. Um, but it does seem like they just, you know, don't think they they can justify the cost even if the customer is there. Um, we can go into sort of the strategy of pulling out of certain geographic markets. But just off the top, Zofia, what are your thoughts on Stitch Fix pulling out of the UK? And and do you feel like they got much of a foothold there or like is this feel preemptive to you or does it feel like yeah they should probably just dip out i mean it's probably not the best sign when i haven't heard of them before like oh. we had covered them here um yeah. as in like i'd cover them for multiple pieces over the last couple of um years now but i would say that before that there was actually like from my side anyway zero awareness as to what stitch fix is and how it mm -hmm. operates in the uk in fact i think i remember asking them do you even have a uk operation like it wasn't something that for me um was a significant player in the market um and also i think personal styling services aren't something that are very popular here um i think that it's a very tough thing to do when you know you're doing everything relatively virtually um, I think that that personalization is not really that um, popular over here, um, as opposed to, you know, other services which are, are booming, like repair and um, and kind of reconstruction of, of garments. Yeah, maybe you guys are just better at styling yourselves and you don't need help <laughs> from an outside <laughs> source. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right that the the awareness was just low. I mean, I don't know what kind of investment they were putting in over there, um, but I I feel like a company like Stitch Fix that's very, like ideally, if if a customer of Stitch Fix is out there, you don't know necessarily that they use Stitch Fix because the products that they're wearing are from other brands. Um, mm. Yeah, and, and just in general, it does feel like that's a tough business, you know, even in the US. Um, their revenue for the last quarter was $400 million, which is down about 20% from the same period last year. Um, so it definitely feels like that business is, you know, facing some difficulties. Um, I think it's an interesting strategy to just cut your losses entirely in a geographic market and just stick to, you know, one main market. Um, I feel like the last, you know, couple of years, there's been a trend of, you know, if something's not making money, just keep pouring more money into it and stick with it and hope that someday it eventually does. And I, I, I respect them just being like, we're not going to do the UK anymore at all. Um, I was looking into this and I, I, there's a couple of companies that have done something similar. I mean, not fashion, but Shell, the gas company, just said that they're going to pull out of the UK um, in the home energy market. Um, I'm wondering your thoughts like uh, on the UK retail environment and just in general, like, does it feel strong? Does it feel flagging? Like, 
I don't know what what's the what's the vibe you're getting. Yeah, I mean, it has been flagging for quite some time now. Um, that is mostly around, you know, high street stores. So it's basically those which are positioned around a kind of central street within uh, a couple of key um, cities around the UK. Um, that's typically like a good marker of what is going on in the UK kind of retail sector. Um, and that definitely has been down. You know, Brexit has had long term impacts on um, on the retail sector and on the fashion industry more widely. Um, and there have also been some issues um, when it comes to, you know, the, the tax rate, like especially with London. Um, it's a city that is very reliant on tourists and the um, tax break that's often offered to tourists um, has still not been lifted. Um, so basically, it's not an incentive for tourists to come here and buy and they could much easily go to Paris um, and do it there. Um, and there have been some companies which have, you know, across the range of markets who have left the UK for other destinations, whether that's because of, you know, rising costs. There's been a number of businesses who are importing and exporting out of the UK, um, and that has been more costly um, than previously. I think that's why also there's a bit more of a focus now on things that kind of made in the UK um, for the UK market. Um, but yeah, I do think that, you know, if your awareness hasn't grown over four years, um, such as what happened with Stitch Fix, I think it makes sense to to cut your losses. And I, I know that they're also reducing their distribution system in the US. So I think it's, it's a general kind of, you know, um, trimming all of the possible excess and possibly just about surviving until, you know, next year or the year after. Yeah, so we're there, we're seeing a lot of cost cutting across the industry. Um, people dropping entire product categories if they're not profitable, dropping out of entire geographic markets if they're not profitable, or at least not contributing as much as the company would like them to. Um, I'm wondering if we'll see more of a, a geographic reshuffling where brands, you know, just pull out of markets entirely and just focus on kind of the ones where they have the most success and then subsequently i wonder if that will maybe lead to you know an opening for local brands like if you're if you're a small brand in the uk and you've got this big competitor and they pull out of the uk entirely maybe that's room for you then to you know make that your main focus so we'll see how that all that works um any other thoughts Sophia, on stitch fix um you know or the uk market in general before we wrap up yeah i mean i think that final thoughts here would just be you know you have to actually penetrate the market I think that there wasn't enough of a, a socials push like there was some things that I've been seeing across Pinterest with Stitch Fix so I think services which are similar to that um, I think possibly addressing specific channels that are more popular for those kind of services here um, or you know again going deeper into communities which might have kind of a good word of mouth traction because I mean that's I think the, the most effective way for a service like this to to kind of hit the ground running um, I think that yeah more attention into those areas could have possibly led to you know a more successful UK operation but yeah obviously you've got to trim the bits that aren't working for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think that's all the time we have this week. Zofia, thank you so much for joining. Once again, you are such a great co-host. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be on. 
And for those of you listening, don't forget to give us a rating and a review, whether that's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, that really helps us out a lot. Um, And don't forget to subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you will hear interviews with industry insiders every Wednesday, and you'll hear Week in Review episodes every Friday. Sometimes those Week in Review episodes will have special guests who are industry insiders as well. We might even have one coming up soon. Um, But until then, thank you all for listening.